Good morning, everyone. Uh, kindergarten through third grade is dismissed. I was told to not forget that. And I would have, unless Peter reminded me 10 seconds ago. So if you guys can, open up your Bibles to Genesis 22. And I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer, and then we will dive in. Father, thank you for today. Uh, It is a blessing in the midst of a hard year to be able to come uh, and worship together, to gather together. And I pray that as I'm about to open up your word, that any words that are of me and not of you, that you leave them to the wayside and that you speak abundantly clear. Thank you for who you are, the common bond that we have in Christ. And Father, again, I thank you for being immutable and uh, unchanging in the midst of a society and culture that's changing so rapidly. Thank you for being our constant foundation. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Pastor Paul asked me a couple weeks ago to to preach this morning, and uh, it was a privilege to be able to open up the Word of God with you. Uh, And I had a really hard time trying to understand what I wanted to talk about. I felt like three or four things were on my mind uh, for where I wanted to preach and what I wanted to go over. Uh, And so I finally decided on Genesis 22. But before we hop into that, uh, I'm going to start with something that I was also thinking about preaching on. Uh, And I think it's important for us going into the scripture. Uh, We are in the midst of so much transition as a culture, uh, as a church, we're about to transition. And as we're looking for someone to lead as Pastor Paul is retiring, Uh, And I want to emphasize the importance of elevating the scripture in our church and in our lives, uh, because I feel like there's a direct assault happening uh, against the church, against society that is really dumbing down scripture. And so we need to elevate it to the point in our lives that we understand that this is the word of God. And it's by this revelation that God's given us uh, that we have eternal life and knowing what is actually true and false. Uh, And so as we hop into the scripture, I want to keep that at the forefront of our minds because it's so important uh, to elevate scripture and put it in its proper place. Uh, Whether you agree with this man or not, we are studying this. We were studying this guy in church history. uh, And John Calvin once said, uh, it is important that we never stand in judgment over the scripture, but that the scripture stands in judgment over us and that we aren't the people to critique it. We aren't the people to uh, to show where it's aired, but in truly in true form fashion that it has absolute authority over our lives. So on that note, we're going to hop into Genesis 22. Uh, And if you're there, we're going to go through the first 14 verses. Uh, And I'm excited to teach about this because this is a story that most of us probably know. Uh, It's the story of Abraham and Isaac uh, and how Abraham was called to sacrifice Isaac. So we're going to read through this. We're going to understand and exegete this passage a little bit. And then we're going to go to the New Testament and understand as believers What theme of sacrifice is there, and why are we called to live a life of sacrifice? So, verse 1, we're going to start. I'm uh, reading ESV, which is the extra spiritual version, so hopefully you guys can uh, follow along. So, verse 1, And after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Here, sorry, slides up. If you guys want to follow this as well, let's start over. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains for which I should tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac, 
And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place that God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and we will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid it on the wood in order to bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thickets by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So an incredible passage here, one that's very unique. <clears throat> and uh, I love how this starts off. It says, after these things, God tested him. And we understand what is happening after these things. And so we look in the first 21 chapters of Genesis, <clears throat> it is packed with stuff, right? We see the creation of the world. We see creation of Adam and Eve. We see the fall of man, uh, and in Genesis 6, very quickly in the story, we see God destroy the world with a flood. Uh, we see Noah and his family repopulate. We see uh, them obviously forming the Tower of Babel and not wanting to disperse, so God changes up their languages. Uh, and then in chapter 12, we see the call of Abraham. And we're going to take a look at this because Abraham has gone through a lot to get up to this point. Uh, he has endured a lot of testing. He has endured a lot of leaving his home. Uh, it's in chapter 12 that God calls him from the, his home city or her, his home area of Haran to go to a place that he never even knew existed or what was there. So we're going to take a look, but first we're going to dive into the passage. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham to take his only son whom he loves and to sacrifice him in the land of Moriah. You want to talk about a test? <laughs> talk about a test. I don't think any of us have ever been tested in that way. None of us has been called to, uh, to sacrifice a family member. Maybe some of you guys feel like you want to sacrifice your son. Um, but God has never called us to do that. If you think that he has, come talk to us afterwards, because I don't think that's from God. Um, but we have this idea that Abraham is having a monumental task in front of him. He has to travel to the land of Moriah, and he has to sacrifice his son. Uh, and there's a theologian that I was uh, reading a few years back, uh, and he was talking about this story and talking about a dog. Uh, and he had a dog. His name was Hosanna. Had it from an eight-week-old puppy. Uh, loved this dog. He said everywhere he went, he went. While he was teaching in the college, the dog would lay at his feet. When he would leave the room to go to his office, he would follow him into his office. He would literally go outside. The dog was with him wherever he went, even to the point of where he would go to bed at night. The dog always tried to take the place of his wife. Uh, the dog never succeeded, but he tried. <clears throat> 
And so we see this dog uh, was a pivotal state, uh, staple in their family. And you guys who have had pets, you guys understand this. Your dogs or your pets become a member of your family. You become close with them. Um, and then all of a sudden, about two and a half years into having him, he uh, ended up having a seizure. And so they took him to the vet, <clears throat> and the vet said, I think he's okay, uh, and we're going to continue on with the life. And then a week later, he had another seizure. And then a couple days later, he had two seizures, and then three, four, five, to where he was having anywhere between 10 and 15 seizures a day. And uh, for you guys who know that, thank you, Russ. For you guys who know that, uh, dogs become an integral part of the family. And one of the hard things was he went to the vet, and the vet told him, Listen, the only thing that's going to be humane about this is you're going to have to put the dog down. And he said, okay, I need to go home and talk with my wife. So I went home, talked with his wife, and uh, they agreed. And he said, listen, I can't take this dog to the vet. Driving 10 minutes, knowing that it's sitting in my seat, it's going to look at me, I'm going to crash. I don't want to take this thing to the vet, knowing that I'm going to be taking it to, a death, to its death. So why don't you have one of the students come in and uh, take it when I'm teaching? So three days later, he uh, comes home, and sure enough, one of the students took the dog to the vet. The dog was put down, uh, and he was just heartbroken. He's like, that's my dog. That's a member of someone who I care about. Uh, and guys, relating to this story, can you imagine being in the place of Abraham, not taking a pet, a 10-minute drive to be put down, but walking with your son for three days, knowing that you're going to have to sacrifice him? This is a weird Hard testing. When this verse starts out that Abraham was going to be tested by God, this was the understatement of the year for how hard this test was going to be. And so we get to this point, and we see that in verse 4, on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And so we're given a a little bit of a hint of where Abraham was at. Abraham knew that in some way, in some miraculous level, that him and Isaac were going to go, they were going to worship, and they were both going to come back. He had trust in God's promises. And it's because up to this point, Abraham has been given a lot of tests, and he's also been given a lot of promises. One is that he was supposed to have a son. And the son was Isaac, and his only son was going to have, make their family the descendants as numerous as the sands of the sea. So he knew that this wasn't going to just be the end for Isaac. But at the same time, when is God going to stop it? That would be hard. I don't think I could be put in that situation and pass. Uh, but one of the things that we see is that Abraham took the wood from the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, and they start making their way up the Mount of Moriah. Now, at this point, we, uh, we need to ask the question, what is going through Isaac's mind? Uh, and we're told, he, his only statement in this passage is that, Father, I see the knife, I see the fire, I see the wood, but where is the lamb? Where is the sacrifice? Because this wasn't weird or this wasn't non-traditional for them. They were of the, uh, the covenant of where they had to sacrifice. Now, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament covenant, and the Old Testament law hadn't been given yet. But you see that from the very moment of sin, 
you see sacrifices required. And so even before the law was given, this was something that they had to do. And so this was a very routine thing for them. He would go with his dad, and they would have sacrifices for sin. They would go out and sacrifice an animal. So this isn't why uh, Isaac isn't like, oh, what do you mean we're traveling to go sacrifice an animal? This was a part of their life. And so they get there, though, and they're missing the one thing that Isaac is probably wondering, which is, where is the lamb? Where is this animal that we're supposed to sacrifice? Uh, And so Abraham's response here is incredible. He says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And they both of them went together. We see this phrase throughout all all of this narrative, that they both went together. This wasn't Abraham going by himself. This wasn't Isaac going by himself. This was them going in tandem together to worship It says, when they came to the place for God had told him, Abraham built the altar, laid the wood in order that bound his son Isaac, and he laid him there. And one of the things that I think is interesting uh, is that after three days of travel, which is about 43 miles from Beersheba up to Moriah, uh, it's no small trek, uh, we see 43 miles of travel. They finally get to the point where they're hiking up the mountain. Uh, Isaac is carrying all the wood, uh, and then they finally get to the point where they're about to build the altar. And the altar that's being built uh, was going to look something like this, uh, except the picture was cut off at the bottom. It was supposed to show more of the altar, but it was a wooden altar raised. <clears throat> and uh, we get to the point where when they build it, everything's ready to be set. And then it says, Abraham bound his son. And so there was no mistaking at this point. Isaac was going to be the one who was going to be sacrificed. And uh, I... We're not told Isaac's response to this. Um, if my dad would have taken me on a hike in the mountains for three days and then said that, build up an altar and said, I'm going to be the sacrifice, I would have had some questions. Um, <clears throat> I would have had some deep questions. Uh, but overall, we see Isaac's faith in this. And why? Because Abraham at this point is an old man. And if Isaac wanted to get away from his father, he easily could have overpowered him. But he didn't. And so Isaac is bound And he's laid on the altar in a way about to be sacrificed. And it says, Abraham took the knife and was just about to slaughter his son. And then all of a sudden he hears two words, Abraham, Abraham. And I can guarantee you those were the sweetest words he's ever heard in his life. (laughs) Someone stopping him from about to do what he was supposed to. And we see that Abraham had so much faith that he was willing to obey God up until the point that he was willing to do what he wanted. But God stepped in. And we see this where he says, the angel of the Lord appeared from heaven, and he screams down, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I now know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now, this is interesting. I'm not going to get into a a deep talk about this. But when we see the angel of the Lord, this is a very interesting name and concept, uh, namely because of who it is. So in the Hebrew, it is translated the angel of Yahweh. Whenever you see Lord in the Old Testament, uh, in all caps, that is the proper name for God the Father, Yahweh. And so we see the angel of Yahweh or the messenger of Yahweh. Uh, And we see this throughout the entire Old Testament where this angel shows up or this messenger shows up uh, and he talks a lot like God. He talks a lot like coming from a position of authority. Uh, And it's one of the things that we see in the Old Testament 
God the Father is active, the Spirit's active, and so is the Son. And this angel is actually the second member of the Trinity. It's the Son. It's Jesus before he took on his carnate form or his flesh. And the reason we know that throughout the entire Old Testament is we see in Genesis 18, Genesis 22, uh, we see this in Joshua 5, Judges 6, Exodus chapter 3. The list goes on. Throughout the entire Old Testament, we see not just the Father and the Spirit, but we see the Trinity active in the Old Testament. Uh, And so we hear we have God shows up and he says, I believe you. You have shown me that you have faith. Do not sacrifice your son. And so what does he say? He says that we're going to look behind you, and there is a ram that is caught in the, uh, the thorns by its horns. It's, uh, it's caught in these thickets. And what a relief for Abraham. Can you imagine being in that situation? All of a sudden, that you're called to sacrifice your son. You're about to bring the knife down. God calls you and tells you to stop, and you look behind you, and there's a ram there. And so we see God providing for the sacrifice in replacement of his son. And what does Abraham call that? He calls it the place where God provided. And so you may be asking, well, that's a really cool story. And that's cool that God provided in that way. But what does that have to do with me? Because that was 4,000 years ago. What does that have to do with our lives as Christians today? And the thing that's interesting is that this place, Moriah, uh, is the modern location of a city that's very well known called Jerusalem. And this Mount Moriah is the location of what is now known by modern scholars as the Temple Mount or the Dome of the Rock. Okay, so the Temple Mount, when David came in and built the city, you see Solomon built the temple. He literally cut Mount Moriah just in half, essentially, from the top down and placed a temple on it. And so this city where he goes, which is going to be Jerusalem, we see this. And it's important for us to understand because God calls us to a life of sacrifice. We know that from the New Testament. We're going to get into that. But when God calls us to a life of sacrifice, he's not approaching us like some deistic God. Okay? And what I mean by deistic God is this. Deism believes that God created the world and then he took a step back. And he said, I'm just going to let everything pan out. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to be uh, intimate with anybody. I'm not going to understand the people. I'm just going to let things play out. But that's not the God that we serve. We serve a God who intimately knows what sacrifice is. Is because 2,000 years after the story of Abraham and Isaac, we see Jesus has to march up the mountain of Golgotha. The hill of Golgotha, carrying wood, the same way Isaac did, except this time it wasn't for an altar, it was for a cross. And this time, when the lamb is needing to be sacrificed, it's not going to be a replacement for God's son. God's son is the replacement. He's the one that is sacrificed. And that is powerful for us as Christians. That as we look at history 2,000 years ago, we see 4,000 years ago the story of Abraham and Isaac. And then 2,000 years later, we are privileged to look back in hindsight and understand that this very mountain that Abraham walked up with his son, God led Jesus up to be crucified, and there was no replacement. He was the Lamb of God, though. That was going to take away the sins of the world. And so for us as having sacrifice in our lives and understanding sacrifice, when God calls us to it, he, does, he calls us to it from a place of knowing what sacrifice is because he had to watch his son be sacrificed on the cross. And so what does that look like for us? As Christians, we can oftentimes think of sacrifice 
uh, in some ways as a uh, reality that we just don't want to talk about. We don't want to understand what it means to have a sacrificial lifestyle. And Peter was talking about this in his announcements with living out love. What does it mean to love people? And so if you guys can, open up your Bibles to Romans 12. We're going to go there next. Uh, And we're going to understand two passages that Paul talks about for us as Christians, what it means to live a life of sacrifice. Um, Because in some ways, we can say, yeah, I want to live a life of sacrifice and I want to worship that way. But it's hard. And so Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1 through 2, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so Paul here tells us, that we are to live as living sacrifices, which is kind of an oxymoronic statement. What do you mean a living sacrifice? The whole point of a sacrifice is that you are killing something. Something is dying. And what he means by this is that we are to live in such a way that our lives reflect the death and the resurrection of Christ and that our lives are built out on love Okay, and so it's an oxymoronic statement, but the only reason we can live as a living sacrifice is because Jesus was the actual dead sacrifice. He died sacrificing himself for us. Now, our hope is not just in the cross. Our hope is in the resurrection because he rose again from the, de- from the dead three days later. But one of the beautiful things that we see here is that Paul is affirming this theme of sacrifice through Scripture. When you look at themes, uh, one of the things I love doing is looking at a theme. I did this for a project in college. was looking at the theme of uh, light throughout all of Johannine literature or John's literature. Uh, you can see how the theme goes through. And we look through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sacrifice is a theme, theme that we constantly see. Uh, and we're going to get into a minute for, uh, in a minute for Abraham's life. But when we look at sacrifice, we go to Ephesians 5. And Ephesians 5.2 tells us very plainly that we need to walk in love as Christ did, as he gave himself up for us, which is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so that sounds very simple, right? Or very uh, just easy to gloss over. Walk in love and that'll be a sacrifice. But that's hard. Uh, One of the things that I love, a quote uh, from a man named Dallas Willard, says that uh, hurry is the cancer of the soul uh, because you cannot love somebody in a hurry. And if our goal is to love God and to love others, uh, hurry is that cancer that which takes out the greatest commandment from our lives. Uh, but when we look at Ephesians 5, Paul is exhorting the church in Ephesus the same way he's exhorting us to walk in love. Uh, and he is asking us to live a life of sacrifice that's important. But when we come to a life of sacrifice, that's kind of where we take a step back. We say, well, what do you mean, God, that you're calling me to sacrifice? Because that sounds like I'm going to be giving stuff up. That sounds like it's going to be hard. And it will be. But the beautiful part that this story ends on is what? Where God provides. And we look at this from keys to understanding sacrifice. That every time God calls us to a sacrifice, whether a specific sacrifice or as a lifestyle, he's always going to be there providing for us. 
Because we're not doing this on our own. We can't sacrifice and have an act of spiritual worship on our own. We try to do it. I try to muster myself up by my bootstraps. I try to, to live a life by my own strength, and it doesn't work every time. But one of the things that we see is how God sacrifices, or God provides in the midst of sacrifice. And we see this ultimately in the life of Abraham. So when Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son, if this would have been the first time God tested him, I would have been interested to see what his response would have been. But this wasn't the first time. This wasn't even the fifth time God tested Abraham. He had testing throughout the previous 10 chapters. One of the things that we see is in Genesis 12, God calls him to leave an unknown or a known location for an unknown location. Can you imagine God calling you and being like, hey, I want you to leave and I want you to go to this place. You've never heard of it. You don't know anything there. It's barren, but I want you to move everything, all of your household, all of your possessions, and move to this specific land. That would be hard. It'd be hard to leave your roots. It's hard to leave. But God provides for him by giving him a place to live and giving him sustenance and showing him why he called him out. We see that he left Lot peacefully and Abraham settled by the oaks. And the next thing we see is that God sustained him when he parted from Lot. Right? We see in the previous chapters that God didn't want Abraham dealing with the wicked king of Sodom. And so he didn't. He didn't do business dealings with him. And what happens, God blesses that and provides for him, even though despite not working with Sodom. So we see that within uh, never being able to have a kid. Him and his, uh, his wife were not able to have children. And then all of a sudden in their old age, God tells them what? You're going to have a kid. And what did they do? They laughed. That's why they named him Isaac, because it means laughter. They're like, yeah, I don't think you understand biology. Like, this just isn't going to work. But it did. And they had Isaac. And so when Isaac was the person who God called him to sacrifice, he knew intimately that God had promised him beforehand that Isaac was going to be his offspring and his heir. He clinged to the promises that God had given him beforehand and the ways that he provided beforehand when he approached having to sacrifice something. And that's so important for us. If we go in saying we're going to have to sacrifice and we're going to have to give things up and not understanding that God is a good father who, if he cares for the sparrows, he's going to care for you, he's intimately there in the nuances. Okay, And we ultimately see that how did he provide for Isaac when he called him to? He was able to provide a ram. And so when we look at the topic of sacrifice, we need to understand that it is always intimately linked by providing. And that's important. We see that in the New Testament to where when we sacrifice, what are one of the things that we want to happen? Is that through sacrificial living, we want Christ to be seen. When I'm preaching as of right now or teaching or if you guys are out in the midst of society loving on people or sacrificially giving the last thing that we should want is for them to see us they want us we want them to see jesus we want them to see him in the midst of everything and one of the beautiful things is that i think seeing jesus and providing are intimately linked and we see that in this passage so when he calls the mountain Uh, This is the place that the Lord provided. In Hebrew, it actually can be translated, this is the place that the Lord was seen. Because God intimately showed up there. He showed up there not just providing from from a far off way by naturalistic circumstances a ram happened to be caught there. 
but that God showed up in a very tangible way. And that in the midst of sacrifice, God was seen. And I think for our lives, that should be the ethos or the foundation, the, uh, the calling, sorry to use Greek, the calling of our lives uh, for understanding that when God calls us to a life of sacrifice, and we see that in Romans 12, Ephesians 5, and multiple other places, he's calling us to a life of sacrifice because of, he wants us to be show people Jesus. He wants us to see people. And so when we walk in love, as Paul calls us to, what does that look like? Uh, in the first service, Peter shared about how the living out the, the life of love, the challenge was uh, going and buying some donuts uh, for your coworkers this week and just showing them how much you care. Uh, that's a small sacrifice, but it still is a financial sacrifice. Buy your coworkers donuts. Uh, I keep telling my daddy should take note. Um, but, <laughs> but when we look at living a life of love and walking in love, Jesus did it in such a way that he sacrificed everything. At the end of the Garden of uh, Gethsemane, when he's pressed in Gethsemane and he knows what's about to happen, he ultimately says, not my will, but yours be done. And he willingly went to the cross for you and for me. That sacrifice cost him everything. He literally became sin and God had to turn his back on him. And so for us, the call that I think God has been laying on my heart is the idea of where is sacrificing going? Where is sacrifice in our lives? How often are we sacrificing and living in such a way that we are making Jesus known in the nuances? It's easy, right, to give a, a check to something or to, uh, to do uh, a random project every now and then and to kind of like puff ourselves up and feel good about it. And those things are good. Please give of your resources and give of your time. But on a day-to-day basis, what does it look like to live a life of sacrifice? And I think one of the things God's been teaching me was I try to live in the moments of one of the three days of walking with Isaac. Those three days must have been agony, walking three days with your son, knowing that you're going to have to sacrifice him. But all the while, knowing that God has provided and that God is faithful to keep his promises. And so my challenge to us this morning is that in the midst of having to do, um, live life in the midst of a really uncertain political climate, a really uncertain social climate, things are changing all the time. Uh, Living a life of sacrifice now is so important. And what does that mean? It means walking in love and the nuances. And I try to keep coming back to living my day in the understanding that this is one of the days that Isaac and Abraham were walking to the mountain. Because those three days... He was, Abraham was tested by his faith every moment. Every step that he took was a concrete way of him showing how faithful he was and understanding the God, the promises of Christ. And so that's my challenge for us today. When we look at the topic of sacrifice, uh, let's look at Abraham. Let's look at Jesus. Let's look at what the apostles did. Uh, Eleven of the twelve of them were sacrificed uh, or martyred for their faith. Uh, John was the only one who wasn't martyred. Uh, But when we come to that, doing that in such a way that we really are reflecting Jesus, not sacrifice for for the sake of attention like the Pharisees did, but sacrificing in such a way that Jesus is made so known to a dark world because the world intimately needs Jesus. They don't, we don't need a correct president in office. We don't need a correct number of Supreme Court justices, uh, even though I have opinions on those things. One of the things that's important is that we need Jesus, and the world needs Jesus more than anything. 
And so I pray for that as a church, as we, especially as we transition uh, over the next year of what it looks like to be underneath new leadership from a pastor. And I'm sure there are many other churches going through the same thing in America right now, that we look and elevate scripture in our lives and ultimately lead a life of sacrifice that's worthy of spiritual worship that Paul calls us to. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we will be dismissed two minutes early. <laughs> Father, I thank you for today. You are an incredible God that is so forgiving and loving, and you are intimately walking with us every step of the way. And Father, I pray as we go throughout our work weeks, uh, whether we're dealing with our family, whether we're dealing with people at work, uh, at times it may seem like we want to sacrifice some of them. But I pray that you give us a heartbeat for wanting to love people, for wanting to Uh, show them the life of Christ and the light of Christ and how much they are in need of a Savior. I thank you for the witness and the testimony of Abraham uh, and that his faithfulness was an incredible, incredible paramount picture of what our faith should be like as followers of Jesus. And I pray as we go throughout this week that you will reflect in our hearts and bring to our remembrance uh, the things that we are looking towards uh, as far as sacrifice and Uh, living a sacrificial lifestyle that ultimately shows people around us who Jesus is and makes them curious as to why we are doing that. Thank you for never changing in the midst of an unchanging culture, and I pray that our hearts and our minds are attentive to your spirit this week. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.